Hello, my name is Paul Adlington and this is Bear Christianity, Chapter 7a, Religious Underwear. Now, while watching the Olympics, our friend's young daughter asked Mum, why are they running in only their knickers? And our friend replied, they have to strip off everything that might slow them down. Now, our friend used to be an athlete herself, so she should know. About five years into leading the Bear Church, another friend and member of the congregation left the church and converted to Buddhism, or at least some form of what I would call mild Buddhism. I've since realised that it's not as uncommon a move as I thought at the time, but at the time I was quite taken aback. And when she asked me if I would consider converting to Buddhism too, I was almost dumbfounded. What a thing to ask a relatively new Christian minister, especially one who was reared in an evangelical stable like I had been, which basically means no chance whatsoever. Just imagine, if I converted to Buddhism, the consequences would be huge, catastrophic even, for me, for my career, for my identity, for my family, for the church. Maybe you think it's a good idea. Well, it would certainly rock the boat. But would I? Would I consider converting to Buddhism or any other religion for that matter? Yes. Yes, I would. Why? Well, because if you have never doubted God, says my friend Simon, then when the rubber hits the road, you'll find your foundations are weak. And he said, if you just bury your doubts, they will come back to bite you when you're in trouble. And I agree. We should face our doubts and questions by looking at the foundations of our religion, by stripping it down to its bare essentials, its minimal form, its underwear. All religions have a heap of extra clothing. It's in the form of religious practices, practices that are often nice to look at, comfortable to move in and presentable in public places and official ceremonies. But when the rubber really hits the road, many prove to be just that, nice but unnecessary practices, meaningful but not strong enough for real foundations. And some even cause more harm than good, like the superhero's cape that gets caught in the jet engine in the film The Incredibles. In chapter two, I said that the word religion means to rebind or retie. In particular, to bind and keep binding ourselves to God. Stripping our religion down to its underwear is exposing, even humiliating, a bit like stripping down to run in our actual underwear. But it needs to be done if we want to keep being bound to God, unhindered by what we might be carrying. If we want to get through the tough times, if we want our faith to stand the test, then we need to know what is of eternal value and then hold on to it tightly. Whether it's one of the main historic world religions like Christianity or Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam or Judaism or a derivation of one of those or a native local faith system or even atheism, looking at our faith in its bare essentials will help us see its true worth and motivate us to keep hold or to let go. If we care about ourselves, the people around us and our planet 
And if we don't want to cause damage or lead people astray, then it'd be wrong not to. It would be immoral. Now there is an idea that all religions lead to God, that they are just different paths up the same mountain, each with their own characteristics, obstacles and requirements. They do, after all, offer answers to the same questions. Questions about the meaning of life, relationships, suffering, injustice, the afterlife and the influence and role of a higher power or powers. They are all ultimately seeking a place of peace and life with no evil forever and ever. And they all provide some very convincing answers too. Well, they must do. Why else would millions of people follow them wholeheartedly, finding peace as they go? Societies have been able to thrive under all the main religions and societies have been crushed under all of them too. That's when evil has crept in, proving even more that they need to be looked at in their bare essentials. There is great strength in the idea that all religions lead up the same God mountain. It's a very attractive idea because it would mean that nobody could lord it over others by claiming that their set of beliefs and practices are the only way to the truth and life. And it would mean that a huge variety of people with different education, cultures and experiences could be embraced along the way. Sadly, however, and, and I do mean sadly, it's not that simple because whilst religions may answer similar questions very well, they don't necessarily share core values. And that is a problem. Take equality, for example. Without equality, there can be no hope of a shared goal. We'd never be able to share a mountaintop forever, let alone get to it, if one religion teaches love and equality for all, even its own enemies, while another encourages inequality and hate and severe retribution for its enemies. Now, I'm not labelling one religion above another as enemy-hating dealers of death here. I may be a Christian, but I'm well aware of the appalling acts of inequality performed under the Christian banner within the Christian religion. Different religions and different factions within religions can't be heading to the same place if their core eternal values are incompatible. They'd be leading up very different mountains, which may seem like a good idea too. Different mountaintops may seem like a good idea, but different mountaintops would just in effect defer the problem of incompatible values to the gods or personalities within God. They, would, they, the gods or the personalities within God, would have to agree a truce in the cosmic spiritual world, even though they are encouraging their followers to do the opposite, to not love each other and to kill each other off. The gods would have to be united in purpose if they want it to last forever. They would, in effect, have to act as one eternally. Of course, this is a problem because God or the gods would have to live forever with their purpose diametrically opposed to their teaching, which is a very uncomfortable contradiction. It would be like wearing underwear that just doesn't fit properly, underwear that is a constant irritation, and it will never, ever be comfortable. In God's effort, to make others comfortable, he would become increasingly uncomfortable himself, rather than bringing himself closer to the people 
as was his plan, he would be further alienating them from him, as if they weren't already feeling distant enough. Of course, if all religions do lead up the same mountain, then there wouldn't be much point in me converting to Buddhism anyway. I've been raised as a Christian in a Christianist culture and still live in it, so why change? A change would just make me an alien. Not necessarily because people would reject me, but because I'd simply not fit in. If all religions lead to the same place, then the only reason for me to change would be if there was something big to gain, something that's worth more than fitting in with my family and friends, something worth more than going home for Christmas, something worth more than sharing salmon with my church family at the Stone Circle in the park on Easter morning, something worth more than community cohesion. Well, I guess maybe if I were emigrating to another country where the culture was different religion. If all religions lead to the same place, then surely it would be unnecessary, wrong even, to follow any one other than the one that is best for the people we are with, one that is best for relationships and the local culture, one that is best for society as a whole. But if religions and different factions within religion don't lead to the same place or can't lead to the same place because of the incompatible values problem, and if we accept that the united gods disunited people problem rules out different eternal mountaintops, then in order to pursue the true religion, we'd have to consider abandoning or even destroying other people, even the people we love. If we were to do that, if we were really willing to abandon or destroy people in pursuit of the true eternal religion, then we would, in effect, be putting religion before people, which basically means we'd be putting ourselves before others. Is that okay? Could religion really be about the self and not others? Could religion embrace that kind of inequality? And if so, could it last forever? Could it be eternal, of eternal value? Well, yes, religion could be about the self and not others. We know that because we've all seen it. But no, I don't think it could last forever because at point of disagreement or conflict, that religion will always promote survival of the self. It will always promote personal salvation, meaning that in the end, only the strongest individuals will survive, which, given eternity to play with, will ultimately lead to just one individual, a single being, albeit a lonely and unhappy single being, because they've got nobody left to play with, nobody to share with, which defeats the object, the whole object of religion in the first place. It defeats the object of being bound to God and others. So no, a self-centred, selfish religion cannot be eternal and it cannot fulfil the objectives of religion. Ah, but maybe it won't get that far, you say. Maybe uh, it won't get as far as just being reduced to one person. Maybe it will stop at a, an optimum amount of sharing people, like 144,000, for example, or 52, or whatever number fits the perfect unity equation. Well, it's fine, I suppose, if, if you get into being part of that number, one of that number, but not if you're not. And not if you're in that number, but somebody that you love isn't in that number, like one of your children 
or your best friend or another family member, in which case it might be better not to be in the number or better not to love people in the first place. But why would God allow so many people to exist in the first place? In fact, why did he even bother making us if religion is about personal salvation? It just seems to me it would be a game, and a mean game at that, where lives are lost and won. It's depressing to think that religion might be like that. I don't want to be part of an elitist, selfish religion. It would not be good. Religion that is about the self cannot be good, because good, in my mind, is good for all, not just for one or some. So let's get on to the exciting idea that there could be a religion that isn't about the self, one that is good, one that can facilitate eternity for all. And let's think about the thing that religion, once stripped down to its bare essentials, would need to have, would need to wear in order to facilitate eternity for all, to run in unhindered. What is it? What can keep relationships going and going and going and going forever? What can work its way through conflict and provide a good way forward for both sides, or for all sides, for the weak and the strong, the poor and the rich, and then some? Well, it's hard. It's hard to see how anything or practice or series of practices, or religion for that matter, could do it. Except love. Love could do it. Love could do it because love always offers a way forward for everybody. Now this is not just a cliche. This is more than that. Think about it. Take some time. Love always looks for a future for others. A future that offers hope for them. Love is not selfish. Love can bind more than one thing together forever while still allowing and indeed encouraging each one to be different. I can't think of anything else that can facilitate eternity. Paul, the Apostle Paul, must have known that when he said in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, and now these things remain, faith, hope and love, but the greatest of these is love. So true religion, religion that binds us with God and hence each other forever and ever has to be one that prioritises love above everything else. Love is the bare essential that we need to run that best race. Love is the proverbial underwear that we need to run in. At the beginning of this chapter I said that all religions should be stripped down to, their true, to see their true value. But Christianity is the one that I'm part of, and it's the one that I've been asked to consider, consider abandoning, converting from. It's also the only one that I feel nearly qualified to strip down and consider whether I and the rest of the world would be better off without it. I just don't know enough about the other, other religions. So the question is, does Christianity fit the bill? Does it facilitate love? and offer hope, freedom and friendship for all forever, for eternity? Or does it allow people to be sacrificed in favour of personal salvation? You've probably seen both. 
I know that some people think that religion, especially Christianity, has caused more harm than good. And I'm not saying it hasn't. But when I look at Christianity stripped down in its underwear, I see that it's definitely not a mean game. I see that God made the cosmos in order to have a meaningful, loving relationship with it forever. And I see that God has continually gone out of his way to help make that relationship happen. He went further than making the world and then sending messages through prophets, signs and angels to tell and show us how to do it. Instead, he came to earth as a man himself, as Jesus Christ, God's begotten son, which means God out of God, in order to show, tell and be the way to connect with God in eternal relationship. And it took everything he had, his whole human life, to make that happen. That says to me a lot. That says to me that at the heart of Christianity, there lies not a struggle for the good of the self, for personal salvation, but a struggle for the good of others, for the salvation of all. It also says that Christianity is not about getting to a mountaintop destination called heaven. Rather, it's about being in a relationship with God and others. It's about binding people together. It's not uncommon for people to think that Christianity is about getting to a place called heaven after we die. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said that eternal life is knowing God the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. He said that in John 17, verse 3. So it's really not about where you are as much as it's about who you are with. And that's something we all understand. Great places aren't great. They're not paradise if people are hurting each other or they're desperately lonely. And inner peace and joy can be found even in the most uncomfortable and even dangerous places if we're amongst friends, if we're amongst people who love us and care for us and, and vice versa. By coming to earth as Jesus, God literally brought the mountaintop to us. He brought heaven to us. And by doing so, he, he made it available to everybody, not just the good climbers, not just the strongest. In short, Christianity is not based on how high we can climb up a mountain or what we can accomplish or earn in this life. It's based on who God is, on what God has done and what God is doing and how then we relate to him. God is in himself, by definition, an eternal loving relationship within the Trinity, which I'll talk about later. And he's doing and done everything possible to include as many people as possible. Which, of course, in the end works better for the self anyway. Because it is incredibly blessed to give more blessed to give than to receive. This is to me that in theory and in teaching and in the practice of its founder, Christianity is based on love, which is the same essential element required to facilitate eternal existence. It works, but it is complicated. I'm not saying it's not. It's complicated because it means that Christianity is not really meant to be a religion at all. 
It's meant to be a relationship. It's not meant to be a series of beliefs and practices that we sign up to and do to bind ourselves to God. It may involve belief and religious practices, but it's more than that because relationships are more than that and relationships are complicated. As a religion, Christianity might be able to offer us a set of beliefs and practices to live by where God would judge and dish out a few blessings and punishments for now before making a final decision about us, about our afterlife after we die. But as a relationship, Christianity is more nuanced and difficult to control. Relationships aren't based on how much you know or believe about somebody or what you do for them. They're based on whether you know them and are known by them. Relationships are more about experience of a person than head knowledge about them. Christianity is not just an intellectual or practical exercise. Jesus said that knowing about God and doing stuff for him doesn't make you one of his people. He said that it is knowing and being known by him that matters. That's what makes us his people. That's from Matthew 7. All we have to do is respond somehow in our spirits to God's love. A love that cannot be measured by an amount of headlock knowledge. Well, this is all well and good, but it does provide us with some controversial implications that we will need to question and talk about. The first being that if no amount of knowledge about God qualifies us as one of his people, then in theory, having no knowledge about him at all would not disqualify us from being one of his people. Some people know an awful lot about God. And some know nothing at all. But in theory, those who know nothing at all aren't necessarily excluded, just as those who know a lot aren't necessarily included. So we have the question of the line. The second is that calling yourself a Christian doesn't necessarily make you a Christian, which most of us, I think, would agree with. But it also means, in theory, that not calling yourself a Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you aren't one. So maybe calling yourself a Buddhist or an atheist doesn't mean that you aren't a Christian. I know that these implications might appear controversial and complicated, but actually they're great. They're great because they mean that people with limited physical or mental knowledge or ability aren't excluded from being God's people. They mean that there is plenty of room in God's kingdom for children and adults who are not able to communicate or grasp a certain level of conscious thought, as well as people from all kinds of cultures and backgrounds with different education, language and even religion. And yes, I did just say that. I did just say that people from other religions could be included in Christianity. If Christianity is more about a loving relationship with God and others, and it is about a minimum level of beliefs and practices, then there is no reason at all why God wouldn't eventually judge people by the sincerity of their heart above their allegiance to and understanding of a particular religion. Indeed, God said to Samuel, 1 Samuel 16, 
People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. I fully expect to see, and I think I already do see, people from all kinds of religions at the proverbial mountaintop with God. And I hope that people from all religions make it. But I don't expect anybody to make it by their own merit. If love really is the bare essential of true religion, binding us with God eternally, then not only must we conclude that Jesus is the way, because he is the embodiment of love, the sacrifice of the self for others, we must also conclude that knowing the way is more about heart experience than head knowledge, more about relationship than a set of beliefs and practices, more about knowing and accepting the spirit of Jesus than knowing his name or not. Now, I'll stop there for this chapter, 7a, and I'll move on to 7b in the next one because I realise there's more to say on this. And so chapter 7b is called Not Dressed Yet. <laughs>